The thing about ecosystem building I think that matters most is fostering innovation, regardless of industry, because that innovation is what's going to lead to better employment, better opportunity for locals. And that is going to ripple effect into increasing talent pool in a region. Welcome to Unlimited Partners, a podcast on partnership. I'm your host, Thomas McGannon. I'm an investor on a journey to understand what makes great partnerships. This podcast is my way of recording that process and sharing it. Today's conversation is with Gerard Ramos. Gerard is a self-taught developer and entrepreneur. People say that we kind of look alike, and I agree. The main difference is that he is taller than me, his beard is cooler, and he drives a really neat truck while I have a minivan that has multiple dings and scratches on it and probably has wash me written on the back of it right now. Gerard's company, Revelry, is a 70-person organization that builds and invests in digital experiences. Today, we focus on his work as founder and CEO of Rome, a venture-backed business that's on a mission to build a nationwide network of premier camping, RV, and outdoor experiences. This was a really exciting conversation for me because uh, I'm talking about things that I really care about. As you've heard in the background, some of my interviews, uh, we have a very (laughs) vibrant young family. We've got four young boys. I'm spending a lot of my uh, non-working time trying to think about, like, how do I get my kids physically active? Like, how do we get outdoors? And how, as as an investor, as somebody who's building a career in software and internet assets, how do I join these two passions of mine? And so when I met Gerard last summer, we were introduced by some mutual friends, and uh, we found out that we, we were actually camping, uh, both of us, about two hours from one another. I up in northern Minnesota, he in northern uh, Wisconsin. And so I think it was, gosh, maybe it was the next day after we met, Gerard said, hey, I'm going to hop in my truck, we'll have a, a dinner out on your deck, and uh, we'll get to know each other. And so... I smoked a turkey, we uh, went on some hikes. Uh, I've just really built a great friendship with him. Um, He's a mentor to me as an investor, as an entrepreneur, as a dad, as a civic, uh, a very civically minded individual. Gerard in many ways highlights like what I think that my job is uh, when I when I work with the groups um, that that I'm helping invest, I view my job as bringing in uh, some of the highest quality, most capable people, and I also view my job as finding ways of investing in companies that 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 really do bring the future forward in a way that makes the real world more enjoyable. And so, as I've learned uh, with Gerard, what it means to streamline the check-in process, what it means to um, put in place best practices for cleaning toilets and and keeping uh, fire pits in an orderly spot. Like as somebody who's sat around many a fire pit and exchanged like some of my most like heartfelt thoughts and and formed some of my deepest like most highly cherished memories to think that I get to work with a guy like Gerard to invest in these wonderful properties that have been in many cases like stewarded by some of the the coolest mom and pop small business owners in our country and then taking these assets on a journey towards connectivity and and digitization and, and building real community 
oh my gosh, like this is, this is one of my favorite conversations that I've had with my buddy while he's sitting outside under the birds in Western North Carolina. It's just the best. Thanks for participating in this project with me. Thank you for giving me an opportunity, a catalyst to record conversations like this. Unlimited Partners is brought to you by Tegas. It's fair to say that I built my technology investing career on the Tegas platform. Since joining as a beta customer back in 2017, I've personally conducted hundreds of primary expert interviews, and I've read or listened to more than 10 times that many using their searchable on-demand transcript database. I simply couldn't imagine making an investment or critical business decision without consulting the knowledge that's captured in their platform. So whether you're a professional investor, corporate development executive, or just someone who's looking for expert insights, give Tegas a try by visiting tegas.com. Hey, everybody. We're going to take a quick break to hear from my good friend, Courtney Hope, founder of My Marketplace Builder, a software-as-a-service platform powering many of the next-generation marketplace ideas. Can you talk about some of the customers that you guys work with? We have anything from crawfish sourcing uh, for restaurants all the way up to 18-wheeler parts to working with companies like Goodwill. And it, it really is the future of the world right now. Exactly how Shopify did it with the e-commerce world where people needed to go through and sell their stuff online. We're doing that with the marketplace spots. There's no limits to how you want to grow your marketplace and how do you want to do it or what your marketplace idea is. So the website is mymarketplacebuilder.com. If you have a marketplace idea, then please go check them out. Thanks so much, Courtney. We'll look forward to hearing more from you later this season. Yeah, I can't wait, Thomas. Thank you. This is the legal disclaimer part. Unlimited Partners is not investing advice. The host and members of Unlimited Partners may have a position in the securities discussed. Please do your own research. So please enjoy my conversation with Gerard Ramos. Yeah, I'm not, I'm not in nearly as beautiful of a setting as you. So where are you right now? Um, I'm at a campground in North Carolina. Is it closed? Is that, is, are we, are we post closed now or no? Yeah, we closed last week. So what are the first couple days of post close like? Like, how's it going? It's going well, man. I mean, the first, you know, we, uh, we close on this property pretty quick, so we didn't get to spend as much time planning on ops takeover as we normally would. Um, it's a unique situation here with a previous owner lived on the property and still lives on the property. So she's in a transition period of moving out, plus, uh, you know, having to train and, and transition us on taking over operations. So it's a combination of, you know, just general housekeeping stuff and how to, how to guests make reservations to the, the newness of it all and taking that all in and exploring the property. And uh, our landscape architect flew in uh, over the weekend to to just dig in and, and walk around and uh, go through everything. What the challenges we face, infrastructure, biodiversity, everything under the sun. <laughs> Man, that's awesome. I can't wait to come out and visit. Um, that's yeah. is, what is seasonally is this is like what what is what what point in time are you inheriting here? So we're we're in Western North Carolina, very close to the Appalachian Trail very close to uh, the Nantahala Forest and the Nantahala River, the Tennessee River, Lake Fontana is in our backyard. And this time of year, there's a lot of hikers, there's a lot of activity on the rivers and a lot of river tours happening right now. What kind of, what kind of a guest are you, are you finding that that campground attracts? Like what, what, are the, what are the people like there? 
just looking, thinking through the guests that came through this weekend, you know, two women in their 70s that are on a river paddling tour, super active, all the way to the young family uh, with kids that are uh, just, you know, getting out into nature, going on hikes and fishing and all that good stuff. It's more of a destination location, and this is kind of like a base camp because there's just so much to do around here, very close to the Sali uh, mountain biking trails, uh, the Tuck River for, you know, fly fishing, Lake Fontana's amazing. That's awesome, man. We won't be leaving Kansas City until the end of end of June, and then we're going to be up back in um, outside of Ely for July and August. And I don't know that I've ever craved a point in time as much as I'm craving getting getting back up out into the woods, just um, creating that space and 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 kind of reasserting just the the cadence of of our family, just as kind of a, a, a an out, like a single operational unit, like where you just get to kind of focus on each other. There are all sorts of challenges for, with, associated with spending time like that with your family. I I would joke when we first went up to the Boundary Waters, what after after COVID hit, we were up there for three and a half months, and it was like uh, Jack Nicholson in The Shining, really not that bad of a guy, just misunderstood because. You, I, I go a little bit nutty with uh, with the family, with the kids, you know, 24-7. Yeah, man, it can get it can get long, but I'm, I'm excited. I'm excited for the season for sure. I mean, I'd, I'd love to ask, like we've talked a little bit about your background um, more from a professional perspective. I, I couldn't I can't recall where you grew up or kind of. I guess what I'm what I'm asking here is like I think you're a pretty special dude and I think that you um, didn't just like plop on onto this earth as a I don't know how old you are 40 year old cool dude uh, I think that there was a journey that 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 got you to here I really I love your worldview I love the fact that you have a worldview that I find compelling and you actually do real work um, that's a cool um, uh, overlap um, but I just love to hear like who is Gerard Ramos Oh where to begin so. I'm from New Orleans, born in, New, born in New Orleans, grew up in New Orleans, moved to just outside of Atlanta when I was in high school, finished high school there um, when Katrina hit. I moved to Vegas, lived there for a couple years, and then to San Francisco and was there for a few years before making my way back to New Orleans in uh, late 2011. Yeah, and, and there's, there's a whole lot of uh, things that happened over that time. Um, but, you know, I'm professionally a uh, software engineer, um, self-taught, and started coding when I was in high school. This is in, like, late 90s, early 2000s. Um, I was building, already was building websites and, and things, um, and not really, uh, I was probably a little overconfident, maybe cocky on the on the chops with my instructors and professors and stuff, and and just ended up, you know, going to look for a, a, a job and and got a, a job building software. And that was a startup in the early 2000s that didn't quite make it. So fell into freelancing and then eventually went to uh, Vegas, worked at Zappos.com for a while and worked with Tony Shea there. It was a lot of fun and uh, learned a lot. And then ended up moving, when I moved to the Bay Area, just was doing consulting and working in e-commerce with uh, William Sonoma and a lot, a little bit in the film industry on just some viral marketing campaign stuff um, before trying my hand at a, at a startup. 
getting out of corporate world and that moved me a lot. Well, really my now wife ended up moving me back to New Orleans. Does, does introducing revelry and, and just kind of talking about what you've been building over the last couple of years, you have a number of things going on, a number of businesses that you're working with. Um, would love to just kind of hear you give the, like a little bit of history and diagram of that. Um, so yeah, all of that was up until about 10 years ago. Uh, I moved when I, when I didn't get back to New Orleans, I was working on a startup and, um, my friends on the coast were, I was, I was fundraising and my friends on the coast really wanted me to move back to a bigger market. They would, you know, we'll get this round done in a couple weeks. You're never going to be able to build a tech company in New Orleans. Not going to be able to raise capital. I was, I wasn't able to raise the capital <laughs> and that company went out of business. I spent all my money on it. I was broke. An opportunity came along with some other friends in New Orleans for a like little JV deal to build a, a job site for the city of New Orleans. And so I had to form a company and had to come up with a name and all this stuff within like a few days. So I started Revelry and did that project. and. While I was building that startup, I was still getting hit up by former colleagues and people in my network to help them build stuff. So I just stopped saying uh, no and started saying yes. And um, that was the beginning of revelry. It was just me. And about six months in, brought a partner on, took on a project that was bigger than I could handle solo. Investors, this is 2011, 12 really weren't looking out, you know, they were still doing deals obviously in other markets, but it wasn't nowhere near what it's like today. And so we started, I started doing some angel investing and started doing some exchanges for my time and our services for equity. And the company started scaling around 2014, 2015, 16, we hit like a thousand percent growth. And then it sort of morphed into, um, what it's now become and and throughout the whole time so we basically had a revelry is made up of basically three parts maybe four parts i guess around 20 2018 or so we we were working with so many companies and building so much technology and it's like let's just start building companies and we were already sort of doing that via the equity trades and um started setting out into startup studio mentality. Uh, Brent McCrossan um, had taken a break uh, with his previous company as a good friend of mine. I recruited him off the sidelines to, to work together to begin to build a startup studio, venture studio sort of structure within Revelry and invest off our balance sheet into building some of our own ideas. Um, and then not too long after that, uh, I met my partner with uh, our, an RVP, Ruffle Venture Partners. And, and at the time we met, we, would, we weren't meeting to like talk about starting a fund together or anything. He had just moved to town and um, I was just kind of giving him the landscape and the rundown of what the New Orleans ecosystem was like. And we hit it off, took a walk to get some po' boys and, uh, and I spent a few hours together and that sort of led to us building a, a pretty powerful relationship. And his experience was, uh, sort of the missing link for us to for me to get rolling in that space. <clears throat> so then we set out to form a venture fund and spent uh, most of 2020 and 21 sort of building the narrative and raising some capital. 
it's creating this this flywheel that's pretty magical and really filling part of it's a chip on the shoulder of you know investor buddies of mine <laughs> telling me i couldn't build a tech company in new orleans to go and prove them wrong and uh you know working in the ecosystem to continue to develop talent and expose people and developers and engineers and product design people in new orleans to you know projects and software and startup culture that is going on everywhere in the valley and on the east coast too and um a lot of those experience experiences have sort of created this ecosystem that revelries become now um so yeah we invest in companies we build companies and um we provide services to both of our portfolio companies as well as you know the biggest companies in the world that's awesome man um and you're also you're on you're on site for uh, a third kind of project bucket, an, an individual, <laughs> another company that you've 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 started. Yeah. Um, I'd love and honestly, man, like I recently uh, graciously accepted the the ask to to join the board, which I, I I'm just over the moon about. This is something I really care about, but I don't know the founding story of Rome. I think I've I've kind of picked it up, and we've just been going in stride, but. Would you mind kind of yeah. r- rolling back and? Yeah. So the 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 story begins with uh, buying some Bitcoin and then some Ethereum, and then oh, real shit. We're talking <laughs> real shit. Now. You know. So yeah, um, my my wife's family has some land up in northern Wisconsin. I'm based in New Orleans, and uh, we would go up there, and it's primitive land it's it's raw land uh, that backs up to a national forest and um kind of in the middle of nowhere right and we go up there every year for like the county fair and the family reunion and stuff and flying into a, a city and renting a car and driving three hours um was tough to do with camping gear when we had kids and so um i convinced her to let me buy an rv and we would take our time getting up there. I can work on the road and um, it'd be easier to travel with the kids to get up and spend time up there. And then we could use it also for other trips and I'd make some side hustle income when we weren't using it. And so, yeah, I had a little bit of uh, cash from the Bitcoin purchase to Ethereum's ICO. So I used some of that money for a down payment on an RV and got an RV. And that's sort of, that's definitely the beginning of my RVing life. And, you know, I was like, I got to figure out a way to build a company in this space. It's just amazing. I mean, we just fell in love with the lifestyle of, of being able to, you know, they say sort of the vacation starts when you leave the driveway. And I was, you know, driving that thing to take meetings in Texas and all over the place. And I just saw a lot of opportunity in both the vehicle space as well as the, the places that I was staying. And um, when I looked at the vehicle market, the van world was definitely catching a stride. Um, That's so funny, man. I thought when you started with the Bitcoin and Ethereum, I thought that was a joke, dude. I, I, um, I mean, I know that we both have fondness for like online to offline transitions, but that that's a that's a that's an awesome origin story there. <laughs> yeah. So um, so anyway, as I as I kept like digging in and thinking about different components, like my kids were small, I was like, you know, like you know, they're sleeping on this bunk. I got to get a, a some sort of a 
cage to keep them from falling off. But anyway, long story short, the the that market I just wasn't as excited about the locations that I was staying in because there was just so many challenges there and so much friction and there's obviously a lot of campgrounds out there and and uh, we can get into the whole dynamic of of the private public campgrounds and stuff but most of the private campgrounds are single owner operated places and there's just a ton of friction you know they range everywhere from trailer parks motorhome parks uh to amusement park like experiences it was really confusing around like online bookings. It was really confusing on the rules of various places. It was, con- it was like a little standoffish going into some places that were more, you know, either seasonal or full-time uh, people being the the traveler coming in, and the amusement-like experiences with the big water slides and all that kind of stuff were really fun for the kids, you know, a lot of work for us. So uh, as much as it is that we were talking about that uh, entertaining the kids stuff when you're traveling, like that is definitely um, a part of this industry that is I enjoy and, and the kids enjoy a lot. But I really saw an opportunity to, you know, build a, uh, an outdoor hospitality brand to focus on campgrounds that are more boutique experiences that focus on environmental sustainability and enhancing uh, the location's natural surroundings. I'm sitting in in one of our campgrounds right now. So Rome was the first idea that we put through the gauntlet in our venture studio. And we tried to break, you know, the business model. We, We went and did all of the design thinking exercises and really went through all of our processes in the studio to dial in um, this concept and you know see if it had legs and talk to lots of travelers and people who travel in vans, RVs, tents, all across the board, retirees, younger crowds, all of it just to validate is like my experience out there. Are the people feeling that? I'm the one who felt the pain. This was my idea on the board. It was my job to sort of recruit uh, leadership, CEO, spin the company out, all that stuff. And that was a challenge. This is my primary focus right now. I spend 80, 90% of my time working on Rome. Yeah, we've uh, we've got through a seed round, about to wrap up our, our second round. And we've got two locations now. And we hope to have about anywhere from two to four more before the end of the year. And it's going really, really well. I think that for me, you know, when, when you asked if I'd join the board and I enthusiastically said, hell yes. And I came inside and I, I told my wife that I joined a board with Gerard and I was so excited. She's like, I thought you said you weren't going to join any boards. I thought, I thought that you kind of wanted to stay loose footed on that. The thing that I just blurted out, which is really accurate, is that there's something about this company where regardless of who you are, if you're a customer of Rome, like not to sound um, soft, but like I care about you. There's something, whether you're a, yeah. a, a mother and a daughter getting away for, for a weekend in nature, you're a scout troop, you're a retired couple that is living your dream that you worked for 30 years to fulfill. Like whatever you are, whoever you are, why ever you're pulling up to one of our RVs or campgrounds, like I give a shit. And I can't say that about very many 
companies in the way that I feel like this is something that that's that's deeply resonant with you. One of the conversational topics that we've had a number of times is kind of what constitutes a good experience, what constitutes maybe like solutions in search of a problem, being able to, to figure that out first in like a physical sense and a process orientation, and then over time building technology and community. It's just, it's a problem that I feel like I could hack on for the next 30 plus years and still find really fulfilling. With that kind of a long-term direction to row in. What are some of the problems that you want to solve and insights that you want to gain? We got to crawl, walk, run. Like, I think that we're in between crawling and walking now. Like, what, what are some of the things that, that you're trying to, to figure out? Yeah, it's a great question. And yeah, you're right on the, the guest that, that shows up here. It doesn't matter political affiliation, uh, religion, or any of that. There's a story there and the connective tissue is we're here together in this place and we're on a journey. Maybe we're cruising across the country. Maybe we're coming here to ride boats. Maybe we're going fishing, whatever, right? We're in this place and we're experiencing this lifestyle at the same time and our paths are crossing. The weekend warrior that is traditionally spending, you know, their week in an office and hitting the hitting the campgrounds and and going hiking and stuff and, and doing the things on the weekends is has changed right like that that is now there's sort of an also a whole nother new segment here that's just this like sense of balance and work life right like here at the campground i mean just yesterday we had you know people having meetings like i'm i'm having now talking about various work things on the deck listening to the birds in the background and they're gonna crank on stuff for a few hours and then go go hit the rivers. And the economics behind it all, right? What's the pricing model really going to be? Um, where the value is that we're bringing compared to the market and competition? We're not trying to build like the McDonald's of the campground industry, right? We're 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 really focused on the the locale. I would say like Four Seasons. Ritz-Carlton level style service in the hotel space without those types of prices and just getting out of the way and letting people go and do their thing. How do you, I think, I think one of the, one of the facets of Rome that I'm excited to, to work on and learn more about is that um, first and foremost, like we, we, we need to solve like some physical problems or we need to, we need to, we need to, we need to figure out some physical unlocks and that's just like a lot of it is how people are, are treated and, and the customer service experience, functionality, just kind of building a Gantt chart and making sure that it's, that it's optimized well. To the extent that your background is one of running software-driven tests where you have really quick iteration, how are you, and where it's like a, a fundamentally like a bits problem, not an atoms uh, problem, how are you thinking about the people that you need to come and, and, and work with us? Um, what, are, what are some of the staffing um, challenges and opportunities that you're working with? To what extent can you use existing staff of properties that we acquire and then and then and then train them like I'm just the, the, the physical and interpersonal nature of all of this is something that I, I really enjoy learning more about. 
It's interesting. It it really is interesting. It's a different different type of. Uh, it's definitely a different staff than most places. Typically, the staff lives on site, um, and that creates an interesting dynamic in and of itself because you're you're living where you're working. Um, the the industry has it's been a, it, the idea of so there's a there's various staff levels and staff needs but there's maintenance there's cleaning there's improvements that need to happen there's working with vendors and um, there's management there's remote there's phones there's um, there's a lot of moving parts in these places and um, streamlining all of it is, is hard. I mean, most of these owner operators are quite frankly getting their butts kicked and um, working 80 hour weeks, answering phones, taking reservations, cleaning bathrooms, cutting the grass, landscape, all of the things. And um, how we think about how we think about that from an acquisition standpoint, you know, it's, it's like some some of the owners that we're, we're looking at buying from are doing everything themselves. Um, and so it is, it's like, there's a lot of, and there's nothing written down, right? There's no, there's no process and procedure manual. It's not like, you know, you're walking into a big establishment, right? Like this is, these are mom and pop sort of businesses. And um, they know everything. Like the, the, the campground that we've, we've just, just acquired, uh, the previous owners built, built it from scratch 35 years ago. Um, and they've been operating in, in a way that is, you know, a truck leaving and going to go cycling. Um, they've been operating, you know, doing it their way and and it's cool i mean don't like this this place is amazing and the way they've done it is is epic and they've done they do things that not many other places do and humans are creatures of habit and so there's guests that have been coming here the the women that i've mentioned earlier that were uh on the river rafting tour um they've been coming here for 20 years 30 years you know, and, and they're accustomed to how this place is run. They go other places and stuff like that. And so that's one thing I've been really enjoying having these conversations with the guests around how this place is different and unique. And it has those unique features to whatever, like the pricing model that maybe is unique here, the, the layout's unique here, the... Um, all that kind of stuff, and and the personnel is unique here. The the but this this particular location, there's there's some there's the guy who who comes and spends summers here, and he's been visiting here and not really working here for 20, 30 years, but he's been visiting here for a long time. Um, more recently, began doing like some work share stuff and all of that, but. Um, there's work campers are a thing in this industry, right? Where they 
seasonal work, right? They, they'll they exchange uh, labor for a spot to, to post up and, and stay. And um, it, it's, a, it's, a, it's a very interesting community. And um, people at various life stages, uh, some retired retirees, some um, traveling full time families, or there's so there's so many scenarios that uh, it's a pretty cool opportunity. I mean, uh, um, depending on how. Again, this is a thing that's like not really standard in the industry. There's standards, but there's not, you know, and everybody kind of does things a little differently. Um, so how we approach um, those types of people that are going to be, I, I want them to be members of our team more than I like. I don't really like the term work camper. It's it's a, I don't know. It's a little it just, pejorative. It's it a little, separate. it's a little, um, uh, I don't know. I, it makes me think of uh, um, uh, somebody who's in a migratory kind of laborer status, and and not somebody who's being celebrated yeah. and and uh -huh. and given autonomy to to be a real integral part of the experience. I mean that that's what gets me excited to to find the people that want to be great ambassadors for a property who can kind of give and receive relationship and where the the like beauty of coming to a Rome campground is the relationship that you have with the staff who are really like, uh, I'm using some words here that make me cringe a little bit, but that are empowered, like are, that are told like, this is, this is yours. Like we are in this together and every interaction that you have reflects back into, to, to the business reflects into the property reflects into like the the soil that 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 we're that we're hosting on and 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 so yeah man like I think that there's something there's something that I think a lot of us have experienced in a a camping or outdoor setting where we've met someone we didn't think we'd interact with we we had a conversation uh that made us think um and th you know considering the assets of this business being the people that execute on that. I don't know, like it's a pretty cool thing to, to try and, and think about cultivating from a, from a process orientation. Are there any examples of, of some specific things that they do at that, that campground that you're seeing and maybe you're surprised by something that you might want to kind of use to like update your mental model on how these businesses work, anything that you're excited to bring to one of the other portfolio um, uh, properties? There's, yeah, there's a few, there's a few things. There's, um, um, so one thing, one thing that has been a challenge, uh, no, there's so many things really. <laughs> Thinking of where to start, but um, there's a couple things. One thing on that, that, that they've done an interesting thing thing on their pricing model here right and it's it's um it's per person and per vehicle right and rather than just per site um you know and and that's an interesting well, dynamic, i think that makes right? a ton because of sense because if i go camping i'm i'm counting the people much more than i'm counting the tents or the the spots that have a, a chair next yeah. to a, a fire ring right and and so that's that's one thing that i'm um really digging in on a little bit and 
trying to think through how we can incorporate some of that into into the network. Um, so just on the business model, and, and like I said, these are everyone's sort of operating in different ways, and there's been some standardization, uh, a lot of standardization in like more of the hotel world, but this is different. This, and when you go check into a hotel and you go to your room, you don't have your neighbor recognizing that you just, you know, white knuckled through the mountains, uh, you know, trying to get somewhere and getting out looking flustered with screaming kids and offers you a beer, right? Like that, that this, that's unique kind of thing to, to this, this sort of lifestyle and, and, and traveling this way. And, but on the operation side, right? Like maintenance is a big thing. I mean, we gotta, you know, you know wanna keep appearances, you wanna keep the grounds in, intact and, and improvements and all that kind of stuff. And so are we using consistent tooling throughout our network that we can streamline repairs and have common knowledge shared between our team on what happens when this happens, scheduling maintenance, how many hours are on this machine, how has the oil been changed, when's the last time that's happened? A lot of that stuff is just kind of, just gets done, right? But leads to various challenges and like, we got septic systems, you have power systems, phone systems, security systems, but at the end of the day, this is a very personal experience business and that matters more than I think uh, most campgrounds operate. Yeah. One of the real cool things about about kind of the, the venture funding ecosystem is that you, you get to have, because you're targeting um, a, a large uh, outcome, you, you, you have to have a longer term orientation. You have to think bigger about what you're, what you're building. Your goals have to be set much, much higher. And you have to think about solving problems from a repeatability, scalability point of view, and and bringing that mindset, that kind of capital horsepower to a market like this, it just it just makes me excited. Like I think I think it's the sort of online to offline product service, et cetera, that does kind of like bring the future, uh, the tech enablement, like like diving deeper into the metaverse is just wholly uninteresting to me. But damn it, like I I definitely want the internet to. Pull its pull its weight, helping to curate the 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 best outdoor adventure opportunities with friends and family. Like I think, I think that's what that's what that's what the promise, like that's what the utopian side of of technology is about. I'd love to talk, Gerard. Like I, you know, not going into any trade secrets here, but I'd love to talk about just the economics of how you think of a business like this. I mean, so we're. We're buying existing campgrounds or, or campgrounds in a wide range of operational um, state, building a capital structure of debt and equity around these cash flowing assets um, in a way that what I, what I like about here is that we're buying value in place. Like we're, we're buying an asset at or below its cash flow derived intrinsic value and then stepping in learning about the property, taking a do no harm mindset first, and then over time, figuring out ways to make the asset more productive with process changes, and then over time, technological kind of software internet enhancements. Can you just kind of walk through, like you've, you've got a couple properties under your belt now. I think you have a bit of an example for what the top line and, and profitability can look like um, fairly shortly after 
after close. I just, I, you know, obviously, again, staying, staying out of the things that you think are really differentiating about Rome. But I, I do think that kind of tackling yeah. some of the economics here and, and also, frankly, as a way to frame why this is such an attractive business to be investing in. Yeah. So let's see. There's a lot to unpack there. But the way I think about this and traditional, like traditional ventures, asset light, right? And, you know, wanting to the technology companies, right? It's asset light, SaaS, um, marketplace stuff. We are not asset light. <laughs> we are asset heavy. Um, however, like you said, we're, we're, I look at it as it's a real estate business with venture scale. The technology behind what we're doing is really sort of, we want it to be happening behind the scenes and make things much easier for our guests to go camping and experience the outdoors. Right. So the technology enables the guest experience in a way that I think is very differentiated from how it exists today in this market. Um, when we think about and we look at acquisitions and we're I'm wearing the, the real estate acquisition hat in this market, a you're buying value from cash flows. You're also buying an asset, right? Like it's land. There's a value to that land then there's a business on this land, right? And arguably the land could, in some cases, be worth more than the actual business that's running on it, depending on how you look at the cash flow. And if you're like a, a, a residential developer could have come in and bought this property, eliminated the campground completely, and you know, put a 10 acre you know, subdivision in here. We have a couple different challenges on the buy side, right? Like it's very important to me and important, I think, to many sellers in this market. This is these properties that they've poured 30 plus, 20 plus years of their lives into building and curating and doing the things that they've done. I'm not discrediting that whatsoever. It's more of a enhancement and continuation of their legacy that I think, you know, is critical to our success and the success of continuing the relationship with those guests that have been coming here for years and really working with them to deliver what they want. And that's, that's, that's what we want to do from the economics on the property. There's, there's a whole series of, of different ways to look at these things. They get appraised in different ways just to use some generalized numbers. Let's say there's a campground that is doing $100,000 in NOI. And that campground in the market, regardless of what kind of land value and all that stuff, just simple math here is at a 10 cap. So a 10 cap is like 10%. The way you look at it, the way you think about a 10 cap is like, all right, so that property at a 10 cap would be maybe listed for sale for a million dollars. So as an investor um, or an owner operator, I've got a million dollars and I want to invest that into a piece of real estate. Uh, a 10 cap is a good return on that capital. So you're going to have $100,000 in free cash flow, um, roughly, depending on how anyone, <laughs> everybody kind of calculates NOI in different ways, but that's true NOI calculation would be hands-free investor, not an owner-operator, right? Hands-free money going into 
an RV park or a campground or anything like that is basically retail expecting a 10 cap, a 10% return on investment. Um, so that's sort of where we start, right? But when you're looking at these owner-operated business models, they're not true. Like an owner-operator that's making $100,000, they're doing all the work, right? They are provide, they're cutting the grass, they're, they're doing everything, and they're not paying employees or any of that stuff. And so it's not true NOI because then you got to start factoring in what it's going to cost and what those expenses are going to be like to actually build a team to run this campground, um, which is the opportunity that we, the way we see that opportunity is why most of these smaller campgrounds are owner operated, right? Is because the bigger organizations, bigger private equity, I think look at the smaller campgrounds. It's just too challenging. It's not worth it. The, 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 the dollars aren't really there and all that kind of stuff. And so I see that as an opportunity um, for us to enter into this boutique market. We're buying them built and, and, and operational, but we're also you know, looking at doing raw land development and that'll, that'll come in time. It's tougher, it was tougher for us to start this, even though I've got an entrepreneurial background and all this stuff and banks and no campground experience was a red flag for, for us. And, um, it was much easier for the banks to stomach financing a property that was operational. Um, so I actually started the business, you know, working on deals where we were going to do ground up development. Um, but it was much easier to finance uh, existing infrastructure. And then what I, what really got exciting about that, um, for me was, you know, was the legacy of continuing that legacy and enhancing that legacy of the previous owner and interacting with all those guests that were just, I'm sitting at the closing table and I got new guests coming in right day one. Um, and then being able to, you know, put on my design thinking hat and interviewing customers and I'm in there cleaning bathrooms and learning what the process is like for, you know, our team and what they're going to have to go through to clean bathrooms, what they're going to have to go through to clean cabins or clean fire pits and how we're going to manage all that stuff. Um, how the previous owners did it, all of those things, right? Like factor into the value, honestly, of, of what, what the property is worth. And um, the way we see the kind of venture scale here is a couple different ways, right? I've built a lot of technology to help us identify how we're, where properties are, when they're hitting the market, what's off market, all that kind of stuff. So we have a common combination of on market, off market, hunting where we're we're looking for deals. Um, we've got some inbound, working with various brokers, pretty much every angle you can imagine. But I aggregate all of that data into like a centralized system to help us streamline um, the locations that we're going after and, and how we're thinking about all that stuff. And then as we take these properties over, um, you know, we're in we're in business to make money. We're not in business to you know just provide a service for free here. But the value that we're bringing is is unlike anything else. So the the big key drivers that we focus on in our key metrics are the rate, the nightly rate. Are we are we pricing to our customers' demand? Are we pricing alongside the proper properly with competition? All that good stuff. Can we? What's the pre, what's the current occupancy rate? And what's occupancy rate been historically? What can we do to improve that occupancy rate? What's going to draw more of our people in, um, and then the bottom line, right? 
these operational efficiencies like cleaning bathrooms, implementing new technologies and, and new ways and innovative ways to manage all of this stuff increases our operational efficiency and decreases our expenses. And I think we can increase our occupancy and hit numbers that are pretty impressive. Yeah, man, it's like a, a case study of the Y Combinator do things that don't scale. Um, actually, while you, were, while you were talking, I pulled I pulled up the Paul Graham essay there. Um, so we'll probably try and link that in the show notes. You know, I, I think that one of the reasons that you and I get along real well is that we both love uh, software and internet, we, we both probably, I haven't asked you if you, <laughs> if you believe this, but probably agree that uh, humanity's greatest invention is, is the internet. And, and what we get to do is find out ways of, you know, the future is here, it's just not evenly distributed. Finding like cool ways that resonate with us individually to go and, you know, lather that future into places where maybe, maybe it might be lacking. One of the topics I definitely want to loop back to here is so that like this podcast project, it's about partnership and and specific for me, it's about how how the LPs can engage in a meaningful way. Like, what are the conversations that you find that are working really well? Just and then and then like, what's kind of the call to action that that you kind of think about for for LPs that are looking to invest in areas, whether it's camping or in a region that um, hasn't had quite the digital disruption? I just I feel like my my seat in this show is to build some some capital formation bridges between the the doers and the the check writers and just would love would love any thoughts on on how you've worked with investors in the area and what's working well and and yeah yeah man I mean they from localized LP standpoint right so like if I th- if I sort of wear the hat of a potential LP based in <clears throat> based in New Orleans. The cultivation of that ecosystem that what what I've tried to build at Revelry, right, is like our team and the people that I'm training are, you know, we've gone we we've we've had 150 people or, or something like that work in and out of Revelry at various times. We've placed all of these people into these organizations. New Orleans has a right to win in a lot of industries or so you would think. And that isn't necessarily the the right lens. I think it's a lens to look at. So in New Orleans, right, it would be climate. It would be uh, shipping, maritime in this in the region, right? And so the challenge for... Uh, the 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 LP that's focused on that locational the 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 right to win of that region um, may or may not be the right focus maybe because they've got experience in that stuff or that's how they've generated wealth or you know capital to invest in those industries and they know it and they can be helpful and all that kind of stuff but when I look at like companies in various regions that are that are successful for various things. It's like, yeah, you want to invest in film industry business, maybe you want to invest in Los Angeles, or you want to invest in media company, go to New York, or you want to invest in a hospitality company or whatever. Or the other the other challenge I, I get into conversations about in, in, in the smaller markets is that, well, it, you know, if it's a good deal, we're going to see it because there's not, a, no, not enough, not a lot of investors around here. Um, 
but that's not necessarily true, especially at the early stage. I'm in, involved with a couple of other funds, personally, and that my decision was more was around that unique access to the early. I'm, I'm all about early stage. I like company building. I like the zero to one. You know, one to ten is fun as well, but I'm I like to be in the zero to one stage really. And um, there's a couple of things that matter. I guess like industry specific stuff, like like I was talking about with the um, with the verticalized things and that expertise around the right to win of like maritime industry, oil and gas industry, uh, hospitality and tourism industry, all that kind of stuff. That may be true because we have that locale, but the companies that actually are crushing in, the, in that space may or may not be in front of you, right? Right in front of you in, in your location, right? New Orleans is a great port. It's one of the largest in the country, if not the world, and you know, it's, it's up there, right? It's probably, I think, the fourth largest country in the States or something. And that's cool and all, but like there are bigger ports out there and they're doing more, much more innovative things and all that stuff. But we do have that resource available to us. Um, what we don't have in New Orleans is like corporate support for those customers, those handshake deals, those bigger deals that you'll find throwing a rock uh, in, in New York, right? Um, and so there's just a lot of that stuff that, Matt, that, that that's different. And when you look at companies like Lucid or Level Set and the, the exits that have happened last year, and even, you know, Turbo Squid, right? Like, you don't think of New Orleans as like this uh, 3D rendering marketplace uh, creative studio sort of company, right? Like, it, it, it's, it's, it's evolving, right? And, and, and Lucid, you know, obviously businesses all over, our, comp- our offices all over the world and stuff, but um, Atlanta is companies like MailChimp. I mean, there's just great companies everywhere and there's great founders everywhere. And it really, that is no, I don't think location is necessarily a big, the biggest uh, factor. It is always going to be a factor, but it's not, it's not the biggest one. It's the right team. It's the right, it's the right founders. It's the right access. It's a right, it's, it's a right thesis, the right narrative that, that you want to get behind as an investor and, and going after it and, and how you're deploying capital, how, how, a, how a, an LP is deploying capital into whatever asset class, real estate, venture. The thing about ecosystem building, I think that matters most is fostering innovation, regardless of industry, because that innovation is what's going to lead to better employment, better opportunity for locals and that is going to ripple effect into increasing talent pool in a region. I want to lift as many people around me that I care about and initiatives that I really care about and want to be surrounded with in my life. It's one life to live. Time is the most valuable resource. And I want to see my investments do good in the world. Of course, I want to return on my capital and, you know, and all that stuff. But I also want to lift as many entrepreneurs as I can along with me as I grow. Yeah along the way. Totally. Totally. I love it, man. Gerard, I just, I was excited for this conversation. It delivered. I love getting to jam with you on these things. I can't wait to go to battle with you on Rome. This is going to be really cool. And I just, yeah, I appreciate it, dude. Yeah, man. Really enjoyed it. Appreciate the time as always and looking forward to catching up soon. Well, that's our show for today. Thank you so much for listening. This has been an Unlimited Partners production. The show is edited and produced by Andrew Thomas. 
And our music was composed by Nick Samaska. Thanks again, and we'll see you guys next week. If you'd like to learn more about sponsoring Unlimited Partners, then please say hi. Email us at sponsor at up-pod.com.